This is the Ezra MMA Edition Podcast. We're talking about UFC 273. It's a non-title main event where Hori Masvidal versus Colby Covington. And I wanted to look at, so I looked up right now, just the top 10 non-title main event for a UFC pay-per-view. And here we go. So number 10, this is on Bleacher Report. We have Quinn Rampage versus Keith Jardine, UFC 96. I would, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I put Masvidal versus Colby Covington above that. So we're, we're in, it's already in the top 10 because I put it above that. Rich Franklin versus Dan Henderson. I'll have Rich Franklin versus Dan Henderson ahead of that. Now, 2009, right? Yeah, Dan Henderson's still a threat at this point. Rich Franklin's coming definitely at the end of his career. At this point, he's about, he's about done. We got UFC 85, number eight, Matt Hughes versus Thiago Alves. And Thiago Alves, at this point, um, was, you know, kind of considered like the next big thing. It was when he was uh, considered like a big, humongous threat to George St. Pierre. And he goes in there and he knocks out Matt Hughes real quick with, a, I believe, a flying knee. Yeah, and, and Diago Alves at one point was like the next big thing. Like people thought that he was going to be welterweight champion. He was going to be uh, George St. Pierre's toughest threat, and George St. Pierre like really shuts him down. If you watch that fight, like it's, it's not even close. UFC seventy six, Chuck Liddell versus Keith Jardine. So Keith Jardine had two main events, non-title. If I'm correct, too, he sleeps Chuck Liddell. Let's see here. Uh, so yeah, fits spinning. Let's see, um, oh no, he supported the split decision victory. So I don't know why I remember him. No, no, I do remember that fight. Yeah, he was actually pretty like um, pretty controlled in that fight for a Keith Jardine type of fight. Keith Jardine was very strange because he did not look like he had any skill at all. But he was always a tough fight. He was always a tough fight, especially when he was like caught him like in his prime. It was short lived, but he was tough when he was in his prime. Gabriel Gonzaga versus Mirko Krokop, UFC 70. And that was Mirko Krokop's, like, you know, he was coming out. They had the big announcement for him. That's when they were doing, like, when guys were coming, they would do, like, the WWE announcements. They'd play, like, on a Titantron. Like, they would play, like, oh, this guy's coming. they play his music, the intro, and everything like that. And was Mirko Krokop was supposed to be coming and just going to run through the UFC. That's what everybody thought. And Gabriel Gonzaga just completely knocks him out cold with a head kick. UFC 88. You know, I want to say that is uh, the UFC 70, even though it was a UFC, I, I believe that was like on uh, cable TV, I want to say. I don't remember that being a uh, pay-per-view. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. UFC 88, you have Chuck Liddell versus Rashad Evans. So this is Chuck Liddell's second one. Um, Rashad Evans. For some reason, I remember this being like a co-main event, too. I'm... Yeah, that doesn't sound right. That was the main event. But if it, if it was, Rashad Evans puts Chuck Liddell to sleep. And this is kind of like the introduction of like better athletes, I thought, into um, MMA. And just like guys with like faster hands. And Chuck Liddell made a lot of mistakes when he fought, right? Especially the striking. He would like kind of count on his chin to hold up. Uh, Joe Rogan talks about that a lot. And it, it was you know, kind of accurate. He was kind of... The reason why Chuck Liddell was just so effective is because guys were just falling in, and he had like good timing. He could, and he had heavy hands, so he would just touch you guys. But then you had to add other elements to it, and like especially with Rashad Evans was, you know, he had really fast hands. Uh, he was also younger, and you know, Chuck Liddell was probably coming to the end of it. It's just he just looked like at that point when he got knocked out, he looked like a dinosaur compared to like what MMA was turning into. Rashad Evans was really, you know, gotta give him a lot of credit for like one of the first guys like was 
of that next generation of just like better athletes in MMA. It really, it, it really was Rashad Evans kind of like was the first one to really show that. Rich Franklin again versus Wanderlei Silva, and they, I know they are both shot at this point. Like this is, I they, they know that's kind of it's that's like a decent fight. I, I think Rich Franklin wins by knockout. If I'm pretty sure. Let me uh, see the result. No, yeah, I'll place him again. I'm way off of these Rich Franklin things. I keep thinking that he's like getting slept or sleeping people, but yeah, uh, that's I remember that. I remember when they fought. It was at the point where they were just kind of throwing Rich Franklin with anyone. They're just using that Rich Franklin name and just getting everything out of it. And that was UFC 99. Okay, so then let's go to UFC 3. It's Chuck Liddell again versus Tito Ortiz, number one. And I believe Randy Couture is the champion at this point. Um, this is actually the like first event I had seen of the UFC since it like had made its comeback. Because I of course I had watched like the first tournaments, but I had I hadn't watched it in a while. And I heard that you know the UFC's back, and a lot of people were pumped about it. And this was like the first one I sat and watched a whole pay review because I remember Nick Diaz on the card, and he ends up sleeping Robbie Lawler. And I remember thinking like, well, that guy's gonna win everybody, right? Because I was I watched nothing about boxing, so I was just like, that guy boxes, he probably beat everybody. And I remember Chuck Liddell versus Tito Ortiz, and I was rooting for Tito Ortiz probably just because the Mexican in me. But uh, yeah, that was a kind of showed me you know what, what could happen when you just have hype behind a fight because I was pumped for that and I had really no previous you know involvement or like any like interest really in the UFC, but that that fight had me pumped. It was just like off of the hype. Matt Hughes versus Royce Gracie. I remember this. Royce Gracie, show some respect. Um, I remember to say I've told you like they used to, the the UFC used to be a lot like WWE. A lot of things they stole from there. And I remember when they did, it was like a um, they were just doing like a regular card. It might even have been like an Ultimate Fighter finale. And they had Matt Hughes come out to the cage, and then they were like, okay, he's gonna fight. And they brought out Royce Gracie. It was like a huge thing. Everybody was like, oh my god, Royce Gracie's back. And a lot of people were just like, Hoist Gracie's going to win. Like, of course, he's the best. You know, he's already proved he's the best. <laughs> not thinking that the sport had evolved or not thinking that, you know, when he had won, that they weren't even doing the techniques, able to even co- combine techniques that they were doing now. And that the I'm telling you, like, that, a lot of people were kind of, like, debating on what, what would happen in that fight. And it would just end up being so obvious. As soon as you've seen it, like, oh, my God, Hoist Gracie does not belong in there, especially he was because he's older also. But it's just, if you look, go back and look at, like, stuff Hoist Gracie's landing, right, when he's, like, the submissions he's landing, the techniques, it's just, like, there's just, it's beyond primitive to what, like, today was just so laughable, right? Those fights are almost, like, laughable compared to what you're seeing today. So, like, the fact that that wasn't even debatable was, was pretty funny. But you got to also remember, too, back, he's one up in weight to fight uh, Gracie. Who was like, uh, I think it was like 170. It was like a welterweight fight. And Matthews just smokes him. It was like not, not, not a close fight at all. And then you have uh, Randy Couture versus Rodrigo. Antonio Rodrigo Noguera. Which is a fight I don't remember that well. I want to say Noguera wins. But I've been wrong on all of them. So let's see here. Um, performed very impressive. Well, athletic. Didn't look past his promise. However, the fight was explosive three rounds. Noguera's majority of the rounds. Certainly yeah, Noguera wins that fight. Yeah. That's why it was kind of like Randy Couture just they kind of like fading out at that point. But that's what I did want to I did was curious to see like what fights had been the main event that um and I think what you'll notice is that a lot you know doesn't happen a lot too, too much anymore. I'm thinking of Masvidal versus Nate Diaz like the last one I could think of for the BMF belt. And this fight is kind of just sold on just bad blood. Honestly, that's really what it's sold on. It's just two guys don't like each other. And Kobe, Kobe Covington and Moffitt sold well when they were fighting Usman. So, like, why not put them against each other? And it this fight does kind of feel like a big fight. And it's funny because in boxing, 
I know it's them made this podcast, but just to use that as an example, you had a uh, Cal Brook versus Amir Khan, which is a bad blood fight. And it's about 10 years too late from really when it should have happened. But it still felt like a big fight when they fought each other. Right? Still sold well. In England, in pay-per-views. And this fight's just bad blood. But I think we're getting this one still in, like, these guys' primes. Now, Masvidal, you can argue if he's in his prime anymore. He's probably on his way of exiting it. But Kobe Covington, I think, is still in his prime. And he's still giving Usman, like, he's definitely giving Usman his toughest fights. And Usman's probably, the you know, debatably the pound for pound number one fighter in the world right now so if you're getting pound for pound number fighter number one fighter in the world tough fights then you're a damn good fighter and the only thing that Kobe Covington doesn't have is big wins I mean his biggest win is Tyrone Woodley who is washed at that point and not too long after that gets knocked out by Jake Paul in boxing so Kobe Covington needs some big wins Jorge Masvidal is a big name it's a good decent win because Kobe Masvidal is proven in MMA he's proven in the UFC he's proven in the cage to be a high level fighter now, did he just get knocked out by Usman? Yes, but I think Usman just has his number, and I'm curious to see the wrestling, how it affects him in this fight. Now, the one thing that's funny is they, you know, Masvidal was knocked out cold, right, in the second fight with Usman, but he actually did pretty good at defending takedowns and got back up, and that fight was like a lot more of a stand-up fight than I thought it was going to be. I thought Usman was just going to kind of pressure him against the fence, so... Going into this fight, I'm like, well, you know, how's this going to look, right? Because Usman is a damn good wrestler, but so is Kobe Covington. Now, they're kind of different ways because I think Usman's, like, better at getting takedowns. I think he's better at, um, what is it called? Like, I believe it's called, like, uh, chain wrestling uh, where he's just, like, he gets you against the fence. He has, like, a thousand different ways to take you down. I don't really think Kobe is like that. I think Kobe's kind of more of a pressure guy. Like, he likes to hold you against the fence. He might hold you there and getting little shots and little damages and then slowly mauling you down to the ground. Not saying that he doesn't have, you know, techniques to get you down, but it's just not like Usman, who's, like, constantly giving you different looks. I don't really see that Kobe. Kobe's kind of there to hold you. The other thing, Kobe Covington doesn't have a lot of power. He's not bad in the stand-up. He's pretty loose. He's, more, a lot of, he's really confident in the stand-up. And... His looseness and the way he punches allows him to kind of keep going, applying pressure, and not um, not fall apart cardio-wise. Now, but with not having the power, right, is that going to give Masvidal more opportunities late in the fight? Because I know Masvidal makes huge defensive flaws in his stand-up, but he's also very confident in his stand-up. He's also very uh, good when his offense in the stand-up, especially when he could switch, his good body kick, good leg kicks, uh, fast hands. He fights a little tall, but I don't think Kobe Kota has that kind of power to really test his chin. Now, he might be able to land some shots or everything like that, but I don't believe his game is like to stay in range, which Kobe Covington does with guys sometimes when he could apply that pressure and guys kind of fall apart. I don't think Masvidal will fall apart like that. Even if you take Masvidal down, I really feel like he will have enough energy even later in the fight to still be kind of fresh with his hands. So I think Kobe's going to have to do a lot of control in this fight. A lot of control against the fence, a lot of smothering, and I know Kobe Devington likes to, you know, increase the pressure with the stand-up, but I don't think that, you know, the opportunities and looks you're going to give Masvidal might be not not the best, might not be the best idea to do that and let Masvidal time you with something. Like I said, Kobe Covington needs wins to really solidify his career because I don't, you know... He came close with Usman, right? The last fight was really close. The, the one before that, you know, he gets he gets dropped in a, and it's, it's it was more of a clear victory for Usman. The last the first one, and the the second one was really close. So I, 
there's a third one possible, but he needs to get some wins under his belt. He can't just be the guy that just came up short against Usman. You know, if you want to solidify your career and, you know, be, you could still be in a, a great welterweight. Even though you can't, just can't beat the great guy in your era, you can beat all the other guys. There's plenty of big names to beat. Masvidal would be a good start. And Masvidal, who, you know, at one point was going on an amazing run, and you kind of, some point, have to wonder, it's like, was that just the perfect lineup of opponents for you? And you landed the big knee against Askren that he didn't see coming? And what does that fight look like if it goes longer? I mean, that's kind of unfair to Masvidal, but it's you have to wonder it, right? And then he gets Nate Diaz, who's undersized, and, he, and gets cut up and can't continue. Darren Till, he gets a clean knockout on, but Darren Till hasn't really done much since that point. And he you got to start kind of thinking like he does have some, he has decent wins, but he has a lot of, a lot of also big losses to his, his career, right? And you got to remember the, um, what's his, um, why can't I think of his name? I want to say, um, let's see here. Moss Fidel versus. Yeah, um, sorry. Yeah, I apologize for this. I do really do. I just want to make sure I have the right, uh, I don't know why I can't think of his name right now, too. He fought uh, Usman. He's a jiu-jitsu guy. Yeah, you know, if you're listening, you're probably, like, screaming at the thing right now, but this fight could, you know, this is the one. Oh, uh, Damian Maya, of course. Damian Maya. And remember, Damian Maya, when he fought Damian Maya, and Damian Maya was just able to just kind of, like, put him against the fence and just hold him there. And that's exactly what Kobe Covington wants to do. So, you know, is he going to have an answer for this? Because Damon does not have the, you know, takedown technique in wrestling that Kobe Covington has, right? So, Damon Miles able to keep you that position. What is Kobe Covington going to do to you? And Miles kind of needs a big win to like, kind of show that he is a top welterweight. and just can't, you know, he's in the same position Kobe Covington is where he just can't beat the main guy. But if he gets smoked in this fight, then it's just like, ah, was he really ever at that, you know, uh, top level welterweight? That's what the fight's going to find out. Now, how do I see it playing out? I kind of see Kobe Covington being able to apply pressure early. And I see a lot of uh, battles against the gate. I think that Mosfidel is good at defending it, but I think that he could probably get stuck there. And I think Kobe Covington is probably going to do this uh, rinse and repeat for like the first three rounds. Now, the Kobe Covington does not have any power, and he doesn't have a really good submission game. So I don't really see him finishing this fight. So even if he has the advantage, maybe to able to take down Mosfidel a few times, I think Masvidal is still going to linger in this fight. And I think in the third round, I mean, I'm sorry, in the fourth round, he, he might still have some energy. And when Kobe Covington may be a little more tired, a little more there to be hit, like it was in the Usman fight, especially late in the first one, I think that's where Masvidal is going to be able to shine in the fourth round. I think he's going to be able to let go some shots and get some body kicks out. And you're going to start seeing like, okay, here he goes, he's getting something going. I think that Kobe Covington will eventually be able to, uh, Maybe the fourth round is not his, but the fifth round, I think, be able to get back to putting the pressure on him, smothering him, and riding this out for a decision. I'm going to take Kobe Covington in this fight. Now, I do think that he'll have a shaky moment later in this fight, but I do think that Kobe Covington's pressure in that style, I've seen Masvidal break to it before. I think we're going to see it again. And I don't know if he necessarily gets a stoppage, but just you know clearly that Masvidal has really no answer for this. I'm just curious about that fourth, fifth round when Masvidal's still there. And Kobe Covington's takedowns are not as fast, right? His movements aren't as fast. His punches aren't as fast. And they're not as crisp. What Masvidal is able to do in that situation. Let's go to the co-main event. Uh, 
and that's uh, Rafael Doanos versus Renato uh, Mociano. And um, Renato is a late replacement in this fight. And I assume this is the co-main event still because this is supposed to be uh, another fighter who had to pull out of the fight. Um, and Dosanio was trying to get Islam Makachev to come in and be the late replacement who had just fought last week against Bobby Green in a fight that he really didn't take any damage in. So, you know, still should have been healthy, but weight cuts, you know, couldn't really figure out the weight, 170. Dosanio said he'd go to 170 at the end. He said he'd do it, but they couldn't figure it out, right? So now Renato steps in. And Renato is, a, you know, a, a tall kickboxer who with some decent, you know, has decent ground, gets to your back, he probably finish it. And Rafael Dosanio's is a fighter that, is definitely not in his prime anymore. Definitely seen better days, but still tough in there. Still veteran, still crafty and able to, you know, get wins. The only problem I see with Dosanos is, you know, he has to set his feet to attack, right? That's where he's at his most effective. He also doesn't have the timing that he once had, right? Because what happens is he slows down and his brain is not used to, is used to going at a certain speed that his hands used to go. They don't go that anymore. So what happens is you start slowing down, you don't have the timing, then you suddenly can't, it's like a mental block where you can't start releasing your shots. Renato's in his is still, you know, 31 years old, ready to fight. He's still in his fighting prime. And I think that he's still going to be able to release shots quicker, faster, and have to think about it. And I think that that's going to be a key point in this fight, that he's just going to be able to let go shots. I don't think Rafael Dosanos is just going to be a step behind, a step or two behind. And he's not going to be able to, you know, get to the spot and just attack. I don't, I don't see that happening for him. And I think that this fight, especially a late replacement, He's just going to come up short. I think he's going to come up short the whole night. And he's going to have to start looking for takedowns. I just think that Ronaldo is going to be able to keep the distance. I'll strike him and just be looser, honestly, on his feet. And he's going to take the decision of this fight. And Rafael Dos Anjos, who's coming today towards the end of his career, might be his last fight. We'll have to see how it plays out. On the fight before that, we have Edison Barbosa versus Bryce Mitchell. And Bryce Mitchell, um, you know, is, a, is definitely a character. Um very good ground game. Very good grappler. Now, I do have my questions on how effective he's going to be against Barbosa to get in the takedown. How effective he's going to be as gaining the space to get the takedown right, to get in on Barbosa. The thing about Barbosa is early on, he, his movement is not bad, right? He's sharper. He definitely falls apart. His legs fall apart later in the fight. I'm curious to see how Bryce Mitchell, who kind of gets in usually with like wild kicks and um, sideway kicks, uh, like a sidekick to the chest to get, gain the space and kind of faints it to jump in on you. Well, Barbosa, he's not going to fall for those tricks, right? They might fall for other guys, but Barbosa will see that a mile away. He's going to eat, eat you up. He's going to eat your legs up. He's going to catch you when you start doing that. So I don't think that's going to be effective. So now I'm curious, like, what, what does Bryce Mitchell do to gain that space for Barbosa? Is he just going to try to, you know, pressure his way in with his arms up and hopefully he doesn't get caught with big shots? It's very dangerous to do against Barbosa, who also has a very heavy jab, very strong leg kicks. So I think this is a very interesting matchup. Now, Barbosa has seen better days, of course. He's always been a kind of a win-some, lose-some type fighter. But at 145, he's looked he looked decent, right? He, lost, he just lost to Giga, but Giga is, you know, before Giga lost to Cater, he was considered, you know, the next... Big thing at the weight class, right? Considered to be competing with the top guy, so I don't think that's really that bad of a loss. I think Bryce Mitchell, people want to know what he is, a lot of hype on him, and see how effective his ground game is with a guy like Barbosa, who's, you know, really, if he is Bryce Mitchell, is where everything a lot of people think he is, he should kind of be able to 
get Barbosa down, I would say, pretty easily and work his ground game and look for land a submission. I mean, if this is the what Bryce Mitchell game is and what kind of level it needs to be, if you're just kind of predominantly a ground guy, it, it needs to be at this kind of level where you get a guy down and you're able to finish it because you can't really linger, right? With that, you kind of have to be dominating at this, basically at this level of fighting, right? In the, the middle level of like that weight class, you got to be able to dominate guys. And if you can't do it, then I'm really going to question whether you're going to do the top guys who can do it everything and are not just going to be able to get taken down that easily, right? You need to really show a level of greenness. So if Bryce Mitchell could just take down Barbosa and just have his way with him and, and strangle him, I'm going to give him a lot of credit. If he lands the twister on him, I'm going to give him, I'm, that's what it would look like for him to really get hyped about him going on some kind of amazing title run. But if not, he's going to struggle and he's not going to be able to gain the space. You really got to have questions on, you know, what it's going to look like going forward for him, especially higher in the ranking. How do I see this fight playing out? I think Bryce Mitchell will get in on him early. Well, no, no. I think Bryce Mitchell is going to start off with his little sideways stance. He's going to try the side kick, spinning kick, try to gain that space. And I think that that's a big mistake because Barbosa is going to eat that up. But Barbosa makes mistakes of his own. He does spinning. He does, you know, his spinning back kick where he gain, he gives up all like a... Uh, the space that he needs. He, he just does mistakes. He, he's not, um, he's not the most, he doesn't have the most complete performances, I would say. I think that, um, I think that Bryce Mitchell will eventually get Atlanta takedown in the first round. I don't know if, he, I don't believe he'll get the finish in that. I believe he'll be able to kind of hold, hold Barbosa there. I think the second round, Barbosa is going to, keep a lot of the space and land a lot of damage in the first uh like he did in the beginning of the first round i think he's gonna lay kicks gonna be very important i think his heavy jab he has a very heavy jab when he throws it i think that's gonna be important i think bryce is gonna have a really hard time finding his way in later as this fight goes on i think in the third round we we'll see a lot more of the same but i do expect barbosa who makes mistakes especially like when he turns the angles and he really needs to be on his bicycle he, he makes a lot of mistakes where he loses himself and he just falls apart i think that's where bryce will Land a takedown the third round to secure this one. I think this one's going to be one where he's, you know, on the skin of his teeth, he's going to walk away with decision here. I'll take Bryce Mitchell, but I think it's going to look shaky at parts. I really do. And it's going to take him getting a late takedown, right? And I think people, you know, this is going to be one of those talk about like exactly what Whitaker and uh, Israel Asanya. It's like, how, you know, how much do we count a takedown against, you know, the the damage and the striking that Barbosa is landing. Well, how how does a Bryce Mitchell takedown you know outweigh everything? I'm just gonna go going according how according to how MMA is usually scored. I'm gonna say Bryce Mitchell's gonna walk away with a decision here, very close fight. A few talking points I want to talk about. Um, one thing I want to recommend if you're an MMA fan, watch UFC. Uh, you know, fighter pays a big deal. There's a a video posted by Luke Thomas on his personal site, not on the Morning Combat site but with uh john s nash if you don't follow john s s nash on twitter or read his articles i suggest you do especially because when it comes to if you want to get a better understanding of how like the financials work in boxing and mma he this is the guy to follow and he was talking about fighter pay and the fighter union which i when he explained it and how it works and the pressure that the ufc could put on people and how you know it would take really a sacrifice from someone's own career to get that really effective for guys going forward in the future you kind of see um, how that's not really going to work. And really, the only way this works is if the UFC loses a little bit of power, right, as far as the titles. 
but the one thing I always want to talk, I, I kind of want to talk about, and kind of what I took from it is that, you know, we talk about MMA as if it's, uh, you know, a rising, uh, it's a sport on the rise. And I don't, I, I got to question that, whether it really is, because I really think that the MMA is kind of as low as, you know, it's ever been really. And I know you have Bellator and PFL, but they don't really make that much money. They don't generate that much attention. And really, the UFC brand is outgrown the sport of MMA. And that's what garners all the attention. It's outgrown all those fighters, but it's outgrown the sport, definitely. And I'm thinking about boxing and people saying, like, well, why isn't boxing wrong like MMA? And why, what are we doing wrong in boxing? And it's like, boxing is probably doesn't have any more room for growth. But what does have room for growth is a brand, right? If there was a brand that people trusted could go to and say, I want to watch boxing, that's the brand I'm going to watch, right? If I like boxing, that's the brand I'm watching. No matter what fighters on, I know I trust that brand. That's what the UFC has. The brand grew, not the not the sport. And I don't think boxing is going to grow any more than it really is right now. But a brand can. And that's a very interesting concept. And I think that the PBC understands that. I think the zone understands that, right? With Matchroom and Golden Boy. Um I don't think Top Rank gets that at all. I think Top Rank has very little interest in that. And you get kind of goes off of just like the person who's running it, right? It's uh, Bob Arum, who's basically is very smart and is running in a very successful way, but just runs it like they ran in the 90s and the early 2000s. There's really no change to that. Now, you see PBC, they're, building, they're looking to build a brand. They're looking to build a model of like, we pay the fires this, this is the events we have, we do this consistently. It's definitely going that direction. You see Matchroom, that's what all they talk about is like the UFC brand. There's a reason because it makes a lot of sense. It's like the brand can grow. The boxing and all that, people, that's out there. People know what that is. It's That's not going to grow anymore. A brand will. And that's what happened in MMA. A UFC brand is big. The sport is not big. UFC brand is big. And because the brand's big, they have all the power. And that's really going to affect fighter pay. So in boxing, you know, people say like, I want this, this, and this happen, right? Fans say this and they clamor for a big fight and all that. A lot of times, the big fights could possibly happen if it was in a UFC. Like, you know, why do they do, they do in the UFC? Why are we doing boxing? A lot of times, what you're asking for is the fighter to lose a lot of power. And that means he would lose a lot of pay. And that means that, you know, that, that they would end up in the same situation that you're, everybody's, you know, complaining about the UFC and the fighter pay. That's basically what, kind of sometimes what we're asking for in boxing. It's funny how that works. But so it's always, you know, good and the bad with everything, right? And the UFC, they can grow their brand and uh, grow their events and, you know, the production's better, the the shoulder programming is better, all these things because they're taking all the money in, right? They're not paying it to the fighters. And in boxing, the fighter takes the majority of it and then the promoters make a profit, of course, but wh what they do with that profit is, is a lot smaller than what the UFC is getting. So they're not able to, you know, really uh, plant that money into the business and able to build it even bigger right it's kind of just not especially definitely not the right the ufc is able to do it i did want to talk about you know people are saying that jake paul you know had like one of the biggest pay-per-views of the year it was like 1.5 million versus ben Askren, and um i'm just gonna break this down real simple right if you believe that jake paul got paid 1.5 million to fight ben Askren, and then went to showtime right and signed a deal where we know that he was like guarantee his guarantee was about eight million dollars right Jake Paul would be as underpaid as the UFC fighters that he claims he's fighting for, right? That I think he definitely, you know, definitely doing good things to get. Not saying that he's not fighting for them, but I'm saying is Jake Paul, if that's the case, right? And he sold 
1.5 million pay-per-views, right? Canelo sold 800K pay-per-views and got paid 45 million guarantee. You're telling me Jake Paul sold 1.5? Not only did Triller let him leave when he sold 1.5, but Showtime only signed him to about an 8 million guarantee after he sold 1.5 million pay-per-views. It didn't happen, people. It's not realistic. It's not a real thing. It's make-believe. Those numbers aren't true. Jake Paul probably sells around 400 to 600 pay per uh, 600,000 pay-per-view buys, which is really good. Not, not Definitely one of the best in boxing, right? But if you think that he sold 1.5 million and then went and accepted a guarantee of 8 million and was allowed to leave Triller after selling that, you're out of your mind. That's, that didn't happen. That's not realistic. That's not That's not a real thing. Next thing I want to talk about is the Islam Makachev situation with the Rafael Dos Anjos. Um, Islam Makachev was, you know, it was a fun idea to get him to be a late replacement after a week he just fought to fight Dos Anjos. I even tweeted that it's not the best business decision, but it's definitely one that could win over the fans who kind of feel like Islam is just kind of being thrown into the title shot, which I, you know, there's a lot more factors to it than that, but they can throw up some numbers like he hasn't beat a ranked opponent, all these things. Um... So this would have been his chance to kind of get in the good graces of the fans. But I didn't never thought that it would cost him a title shot, which it kind of seems what Dana White said. It kind of cost him a title shot because he wouldn't take this fight on short notice. And this is the kind of thing with why you need sanctioning bodies and you can't have an owner uh, of the promotion or league you're fighting in to have full control because then there's the kind of weird stuff that would happen. It's like, how was he losing a title shot for not taking a fight on a week's notice? That's kind of the kind of stuff that you could base lawsuits off of. So this is the kind of things like when Dana does this, I just kind of feel like, you know, like, why would you do this? You know what I mean? Like, it kind of feels like you're playing uh, too close to game with the, like, where it could, I feel like it could lead to a lawsuit because this is an unreasonable thing to expect from a fighter. If he could do it, that's amazing. But there's no way it should cost you a title shot because you're not taking a fight on 10 days notice. Like it just seems ridiculous. It seems Vince McMahon, right? It seems like some kind of script made up. But this is the actual thing said. I hope that's not the case. Um, definitely seemed like Islam Makhachev was going to get the title shot before all this went down. So it's hard to say like, well, no, he was never going to get the title shot. It's like, no, it seemed like it. And it seemed like that's kind of like what Dana White was saying, right? I don't really like that. I, you know, like I said, when it comes to boxing, people want these things. You, you got to realize the power you it kind of takes to give to one person over everyone. And how could that could affect the fighters? And I don't think anyone really wants the fighters to not get paid the right amount for the damage they have to take and everything like that. And the risk they have to take, you want them to get paid the most money as possible. Now, we definitely want to see it benefit us with us getting a lot more fights that we really want. But I definitely don't think that the boxing needs to go into a UFC model because that's just too one-sided against the fighters. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the S-Raw Podcast.